listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Our family has been doing some kind of spring cleaning in the latter part of the summer. So we do our spring cleaning when the mood hits. And so when the mood hits, then we just start doing stuff. So I was cleaning out my little desk area and I came across and, and I've got this little box that I keep all my, my important stuff, if you will. It's in my little box on my desk beside the bed. And I'm cleaning out the desk and I'm cleaning out that box and finding receipts and things that are three, four, five years old and they're faded out and I'm never going to them throwing away. And I came across a couple of golf balls. Now those golf balls are in that little keepsake box probably because I did something special on a golf course somewhere. I know it wasn't a hole in one, but maybe it was my first birdie because I never got a lot of those. So maybe it was first birdie or maybe it was my first, uh, you know, maybe I drove the green on something and I just, you know, wanted to keep, but it was in the, and I, I pulled those two golf balls out and what struck me was that I don't even remember what was special about those golf balls balls and what I did out on the course because golf isn't important to me anymore. Now there was a time in my life before we went to seminary, uh, before we moved out to Texas, there was a time in my life when I got introduced to golf and it was brand new and it was exciting and I remember buying the first set of clubs from Walmart to find out if I even was going to like this sport or not and then once I decided that I liked it well then you know what I wanted a better set of clubs and if I got a better set of clubs I need a, a better bag and the next thing I know I'm developing a passion for golf And my wife will probably tell you, there was a time when we lived in Georgia before we moved to Texas that I was probably more passionate about golf than I should have been given all of the other things going on in my life. But I'm not passionate about golf anymore because other things came into my life that were more important or that I valued more than golf. So I've set those aside. And probably you've experienced the same thing in your life. You've been cleaning out a closet. You've been cleaning out the garage. You've been going through something and you pull out a picture or you pull out some sort of little keepsake or something. And it reminds you of, wow, I used to be really into this and I'm not into it anymore. Hey, you remember when we used to be real passionate about blind on it? You set it aside because it's not popular to you anymore. It's not as important. And we have that. And those things happen all the time. We get interested in something, we lose interest in it. We get interested in something else, we move on. And that's all normal and fine. But sometimes that happens in the realm of relationships. Sometimes when relationships are new, we find ourselves incredibly engaged in that relationship. And then over time, if we're not careful, other things come into our life 
that become more important than the things that we should be devoting ourselves to. And if you've ever been in a relationship that has grown cold, all you need to do is see a relationship where proper devotion is being exercised and it reminds you, huh, there's something missing in this. Now, a lot of couples, probably every couple goes through this. Every married couple goes through those seasons of time where what was so uh, important in our life, where we were so devoted to the relationship in one another, and then as time grows, we find ourselves becoming distant because we allow other things to take over where we should be devoted to one another. And sometimes we need to get reminded of that. Sometimes we even need to take time out and attend a conference or, or, or sit down with someone who can help us reprioritize those things that are receiving the devotion in our life. Today we want to do that in respect to our relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if, you, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm glad to be here. You guys are nice. Um, I, I like what you do. I like hanging out with y'all. But you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Then I would, I would go ahead and tell you up front that, that what I'm going to be sharing this morning from the book of Acts is probably not going to speak to you because this is for those of us who are in a confessional relationship with Jesus, having confessed him as Lord, having received him through his death and resurrection as the only payment for our sin, as the only way into a right relationship with God. If that's you, then I think today will be helpful for you. Because I think many a Christian have lost their devotion to the things that are most necessary as it applies to our relationship. Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse number 42. Just to kind of catch you up, Acts, New Testament, so if you go to the new testament you're going to find matthew mark luke john and then acts is right next door to the right of uh, of john we're going to find the book of acts and what it does is luke is the author and he continues the story of the work of jesus after jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead and now he has ascended back to the father and he has sent the Holy Spirit to now dwell with and in those who are followers of Jesus by faith. And so the book of Acts is continuing the story of Jesus through the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of followers of Jesus. Acts has 28 chapters. And we would say that in 2019, that we as followers of Jesus, who also have the Holy Spirit resident within us, are, are, are occupying Acts chapter 29 and 30 and 31 that's continuing to be written. The works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people 
so that the ministry of Jesus carries on through those who have trusted him by faith. And last week we saw that, that the Holy Spirit has just come in a very powerful and mighty way and, and God has demonstrated that the Holy Spirit has come through signs and, and through things that can't be denied. And then Peter stands up and preaches the gospel of Jesus crucified and risen and willing to save any who will repent of their sins and confess Jesus as Lord. And so many have come. The last verse, verse 41, says that 3,000 people heard Peter preach that day. 3,000 people heard the message of Jesus. And 3,000 folks trusted, confessed Jesus as Lord by faith. And they were actually baptized in their confession. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Lord. I confess him. And 3,000 became followers of Jesus that day. But then verse number 42 tells us what happened both immediately and beyond. So what is about to be said is is, it's like a summary, if you will, of what began to happen in the lives of those who were followers of Jesus, who received the gospel, who accepted and confessed Jesus as Lord by faith. And here's what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what Luke does is he shows us what began to happen and what continued to happen in the lives of those who heard the gospel message that Jesus, God the Son, put on flesh so that he might die in your place and for your sin, having been raised by God in victory over death, sin, and hell, and everything that would stand against him. He has ascended now to the Father and is willing to save and forgive all who will confess him as Lord, repent of their sin, and give themselves to him. And the Lord began to multiply what we know as the church, the followers of Jesus as they are coming to faith. But this summary tells us what started to happen and what continued to happen in the days. And that's what we want to look at. It says in verse number 42 that they devoted themselves, they Not just the 120 up in the upper room who heard the mighty sound and saw the the fire and the, the presence of God demonstrating himself visibly. Not just them, 
But the other 3,000 that came to know Christ as Savior by faith in the message that Peter preached, they were all devoting themselves. Now, what does this idea of devotion mean? It means to, to hold fast to, to continue in, or to persevere in. Now, all of us have started diets. We've all started diets or workout regimens that we're going to do. And you know what folks say in the health and fitness arena that diets are of no help to you. Why? Because you will lose the weight during the dieting and then when you get off the diet, what's going to happen? You're going to put that weight back on and if you're not careful, you're going to put more on on top of it. So these, these diet plans are no good. What do the, the folks in fitness tell us that, that for, for continued results, you need to embrace not a diet, but a lifestyle? So you say, oh, Pastor Kevin, have you heard about this diet I'm on? It's you eat nothing but kale and, uh, and a half a mushroom for breakfast and the other half for dinner and then only water through the weekend and it's awesome. I've lost three pant sizes and I'm going to tell you, well, good. Can you live the rest of your life on that half a mushroom? The answer is, well, I think so. No, you can't. So for sustained results, it's about embracing a lifestyle. What Luke tells us in this chapter is that the early followers of Jesus in, in, in connection to their relationship with this one they confessed as Lord, they have embraced a lifestyle. They've devoted themselves. They have decided that there are some things that are necessary in our life and we are going to embrace a lifestyle. Now, certainly, when things are new, that lifestyle is much easier to embrace. Now, think about most couples, when you get married, that first few months is what's known as the what period. It's the honeymoon period and during the honeymoon period when it's new and it's exciting and it's just awesome then it's easy to embrace a lifestyle of devotion to your spouse it's when things start to get normal it's when other things begin to crowd in after time that the devotion has a tendency, if we're not very careful, to lessen and lessen and maybe even get to a place where we know we're not splitting up, but we live more as roommates than we do as one flesh. Unfortunately, I think that happens to Christians especially in an arena like ours where we can realistically go hours, days, and weeks, maybe months, where we don't really have to call on God because we have so much readily available to us that we begin to get more and more distant, less and less devoted. 
Luke tells us that these folks embraced a lifestyle. It wasn't just new to them. They continued. In fact, the Greek tense of that word is a perfect tense that most of the time indicates that this is something that started and continued. It wasn't just something that started and fizzled out, but they embraced a lifestyle. What did they embrace? A lifestyle devoted to what? I see four things right here in this verse. They devoted themselves to, one, the apostles' teaching. It's definite. What is this apostles' teaching? Well, here it is. It's God's revealed word. What were the apostles teaching? The apostles were teaching the same Old Testament that the Jews had grown up hearing and learning with one difference. The apostles were teaching the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus so that what they had seen all of their life in that Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, was now coming to new life because they were seeing it all through the lens of Messiah. You see, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were all teaching on, on Sabbath as well, or on, on the, in the synagogues as well. They were teaching the same Old Testament. They just weren't seeing it through the lens of Jesus. The apostles' teaching saw the Old Testament like God intended. Not only were they teaching the Old Testament, but the apostles were teaching the words of Jesus. Teach them those things that I have commanded you, is what he said in the latter part of the Great Commission. And so the apostles, under the the influence and the power and the, the remembrance of the Holy Spirit, were teaching the things that they had learned through the lens of Jesus, and they were teaching them the things that Jesus had taught to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? That means that they heard it, and when there was an action to do, they did it. When they would hear that Jesus taught that we were to treat our enemies not with revenge but with love, to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching would mean if Jesus said it, then I'm going to do it. Devotion to the apostles' teaching was that they wanted to hear and they wanted to obey and they were devoted to it not just the apostles teaching but it says they were they were devoted to the fellowship what is this word fellowship having to explain it's it's explaining an idea of partnership an idea of sharing an idea of connecting an idea of giving and receiving with one another This idea of fellowship is that Jesus said, I'm not intent on saving a bunch of individuals to become individual witnesses for me. But what I'm doing is I'm wanting to create a community made up of 
of many individuals. And, and, and do you know what Jesus did? He showed us what that looked like by the folks he handpicked. He handpicked some, some, uh, some country fishermen. He handpicked a tax collector that everybody hated. He handpicked like a, a militia guy, the zealot. His name was Simon. He was like a militia dude. He was a prepper. He picked him. He picked a businessman that was going to end up being a snake in the grass. He picked up all kinds of different folks and then he led these 12 along and I'm sure catching the eye of people going, huh, why in the world are all of y'all together? You don't seem to fit. Look around you folks. Some of the folks sitting around you are from similar backgrounds. Others have totally different stories. Others have totally different cultures, maybe different languages, different nations that they're from, different values and different ways of looking at life and how they were taught. And guess what? That's the kind of folks that Jesus said, I'm going to put you guys together and I want you to value that togetherness, not just because because of what they bring to you, but because of what I want to use you to bring to them. And the Bible tells us that this early church was devoted. They were singularly focused on, well, this is about us and we're going to be about us. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the word of God. They were voted, devoted to the fellowship, the togetherness of those and what that meant practically in their life. What else? It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, certainly this could mean that they were devoted to sharing meals together, and they did. But I think what Luke is primarily trying to get across is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread and sharing the cup in worshipful remembrance of the death of Jesus for them. What is it that is our common denominator as a body? It is the person of the Holy Spirit that unites us together. And how is it that we receive the Holy Spirit? By confessing one Lord who is Jesus crucified in our place and for our sin. And when they would get together devoting themselves to the breaking of bread, they were remembering what provided for their existence in the first place they were devoted to it so many churches that have Sunday evening services will have their communion on Sunday evening which is there's nothing wrong with having communion on Sunday evening but you know what happens in many of those churches when the congregation hears oh they're not preaching tonight they're doing communion okay that's our cue to just stay home why would we ever want to do that? Because we don't value the remembering in the ordinance that Jesus commanded us to remember. The communion, the coming together and fulfilling that that Christ has called us to do. They were devoted to that. It means that was of singular importance. The apostles' teaching, not just hearing it, we have a hunger for the word and we have a hunger to obey and we're devoted to us. It's about us together, sharing and caring, giving, receiving, building, working together and we're devoted to the worship of Jesus. Worship. 
was the last thing they were devoted to? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They were devoted to confession. Confessing in prayer our sin to our Lord. They were devoted to praising in prayer the name of our Lord, lifting him up in praise. They were devoted to thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for the things that he has given us that we so often take for granted and so often feel like are sourced in our own energies. They were praising him and thanking him and then they were devoted to petitioning him. God, we need you. We need you to move in a powerful way to set this one free from prison or to touch this one physically or to advance your kingdom through us by giving us boldness. They would come to the Lord confessing, praising, thanking, petitioning both corporate and personal, but I think, what, I think what Luke's trying to get across is this idea of praying together. They were devoted to coming together and calling on the name of the Lord. Again, in a lot of churches, they're still following the, the traditional uh, schedule, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And Wednesday night typically is what's called what, class? prayer meeting you know what the most the most unattended service of the week for a for a church following that traditional schedule is wednesday night you know why because we don't need to pray is that true of us no the couple who says you know what we don't need date night I mean, we're together every night and we got all this other stuff to do. They say, we don't need that. Is that true? No. Without that time together, you know what you discover? More distance apart. They were devoted. They had a hunger for the word of God and a hunger to obey it. They had a hunger for us together and those venues by which we can be together because that's how we were designed to be and function together in our multiple diversities. And I think God is, God is not happy with white churches and black churches and Hispanic churches and Vietnamese church. Although I get that there are some instances where language necessitates that folks that can understand one another be together. But you know what I think God is really pleased with? When a body sees folks and wants all kinds together from all colors and nations and backgrounds and all kinds of flavors that's what he loves because that's how he made us they were devoted to that fellowship and they were devoted to consistent worship worshiping the one who had brought them together and praying independence four words that I boil these down these things down to they were devoted to the word they were devoted to together they were devoted to worship they were devoted to dependence all in that relationship that they have with Jesus. And it brought about some results. Let's go through these quickly. When these folks 
began and continued to be devoted to the word together, devoted to uh, the worship and dependence on God, there were some results. Verse number 43, and awe came upon every soul. What is this awe? It's like this holy fear. It's like being in the presence of God. So like when these people were devoting themselves to the word and obedience, they were devoting themselves to to together and to true worship and to total dependence on God. We need to pray and call on him to fill us and help us and use us. There was a holy fear in their congregation. They were impressed by God's presence. Now, I've been in churches when I've been impressed by the lighting. I've been impressed by the, by the structures and the, and the facility. I've been impressed by the, by the ability of the preacher or the band or, or whatever opportunities. Man, they've got a group for everything and they've got this going on and their kids' ministry is built like a, like a whale and the kids are all like Jonah and every week. And I get impressed by that kind of stuff. When was the last time I've been impressed in a a body of believers by the presence of God because of the devotion, the commitment, the determination of those believers in their relationship with him? Where when you just come in, you go, man, the lighting was horrible and the facility needed painting and the band really wasn't all that great, but boy, was God there. When was the last time you experienced it? Let me ask you this, Oasis Church. When was the last time you experienced that here? And the crickets are what we hear. I'm I'm not hollering at y'all. I'm sharing with us. These folks were devoted, and there was a holy, it's like, God's in control here. Man, man, I just want, I want my life to be effective in this, and I I sure don't want to bring a bunch of sin into this, because I I want God to use that, and I don't want to be the reason he can't. There was a holy awe about them. With the apostles having the ability that God gave them to authenticate this message, it tells us that many wonders and signs were being done. They were seeing people healed. They were seeing uh, things being uh, transformed by the apostles in the name of Jesus. And everybody was like, wow, this is awesome, God is here. And you go, well, if God would just do some of that here, some of those signs and wonders here, then we would know he's present. Can I tell you something, church? There's nothing more miraculous than God taking someone who is as far away from him as possible and drawing them to himself and changing them from the scoundrel that you all know we all are and changing them into a holy, fully devoted follower of Jesus. I'm telling you what, that will start a fire in a place and that will be far more miraculous than me being able to shoot lightning from my hands. 
or whatever might thrill and satisfy. There was a holy fear. What it says, they were doing mighty works through the apostles. You know, God wants to do mighty works and wonders through us too. Just don't go to Acts and say, I'm waiting on God to give me the ability. Next week, we're going to see Peter and Paul go, you've been lame all your life? Well, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Just don't necessarily expect God's going to let you do that, but he does want to do some wonders in your life and mine. And he will if we'll let him. Holy fear. And it says in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. There was unity. They were together. Were they all the same? No. Some were free. Some were slaves. Some were from the upper echelon of society. Some were from the wrong side of the tracks. But you know what? They found unity. Why? Because they were devoted to him through the through the word by together through worship through dependence they were all together and had all things in common you know what that one thing they had in common is that my relationship with Jesus is more important than anything I have and because you have a relationship with Jesus you're just as important as me they were together They had all things in common because they shared the same value system. Verse number 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was generosity and there was care. They were together uniquely in this instance. There were a lot of people in Jerusalem having to be there because of the feast times. So there are just a lot of people there, a lot of needs, a lot of, you need somewhere to stay or, oh, you need some money to get through this. I know you got a long trip back. They cared for one another in such a way that they were willing to give of what they had in order to meet the needs of those in the body. There was generosity and there was care connecting to this fellowship. The theologian, the late theologian, uh, John Stott said it this way follow this christian fellowship is christian caring christian fellowship is christian caring say that together with me christian fellowship is christian caring then we step further and he says christian caring is christian sharing Christian caring is Christian sharing. Say that together with me. Christian caring is Christian sharing. Now let's say the whole thing together. Christian fellowship is Christian caring. Christian caring is Christian sharing. They were so devoted to one another. They were so devoted to the word and obedience. They were so devoted to worshiping the one who had given his all for them that they were looking around going, where's the need? What do I have to meet it? And if necessary, I can sell this in order to meet that need. They were devoted There was generosity and there was care happening in the body. Verse 48, day by day, attending the temple together 
breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, 47, praising God. What do we see here? We see joy in their relationship. They attended temple together. Why why did they attend temple together? Why not? I mean, when did the temple ever stop being an important place in the lives of the people of Israel? God said, it's the place that I'm going to call by my name. And you say, okay, I thought the, I thought the veil was, was torn in two and now they didn't need to go to the temple because they come through Jesus and all that stuff is true. But why not go to the temple in connection to Jesus? Why not meet in this place that is built for us to meet in and be on the same team seeing that temple through the lens of Jesus? And they got together. And you know what they did at the temple? They prayed and and they fellowshiped and they worshiped and they sang because they had the answer. It was Jesus. But they were in a place where it was going to be difficult for them to share a meal because there was probably a sign in front of the temple, no food and drink allowed. So what did they do? They gathered in homes. And what do you do when you get together in homes, but you share a meal? And we're thankful for it. It's not much, but it's what we have, and it's what God's provided. And we're thankful that we're able to be together. And while we're together, let's everybody finish eating. Everybody done? Okay, look, let's do this let's everybody be quiet now let's take the bread let's break it you remember Jesus who broke his body for our sake and let's all eat in remembrance of his broken body we know he's alive we know he's risen we know he's Lord but let's remember because he wanted us to remember his broken body and let's take let's drink in remembrance of this one who gave his all so that we might be forgiven and given life Man, they were, they were together. They were opening their home. They, they were willing to just, yeah, come on in and bring the dirty feet and whatever. Just come as long as we're together and we're able to celebrate. We see joy and excitement. We see a synergy. We see community happening. And it says they were, in verse 47, having favor with all people. When these folks were devoted to God's word and its obedience and and fellowship and worship and dependence on him, they were devoted to that. Luke tells us that they had favor with all people. Like they they were living in such a way that was attractive to the folks on the outside. I read there was, there was a second century apologetic writing. I don't remember what the fellow's name was, but he was a second century apologist. And, and what that meant is, is that these folks were trying to explain to the world what they were seeing in this Christian group that was growing. Folks were like, who is this sect of followers of some Jewish carpenter that the Romans killed? And I don't get it. And these apologists would, would give arguments to the world so that they might be able to understand what was going on. And this one apologist wrote a work to the king. 
And he was defending the people known as Christians. And the thing was long. And basically what this guy was saying is, oh, king, I'll tell you about these that are following the one known as Jesus. They're in our society. And you know they pay their taxes and they treat one another with kindness. And they never lie to one another. And they're always good citizens. And they take opportunities to be a blessing. And they do their work with fairness. They don't cheat people. They don't steal from folks. They treat others with kindness, whether they're in their group or not. And basically what this apologist was doing is like, they just look like Jesus. Nobody hates being around Christians because of how much they look like Jesus. Is that true today? Or do people hate being around Christians But when they were devoted to the word, when they were devoted to one another, they were devoted to worship and they were devoted to prayer, they had favor with all men. Some of the men might not have believed, people might not have, have held the same convictions that they had, but no one would say, boy, those Christians, they are just some of the most rude, selfish, self-seeking, self-righteous bunch of hypocrites I've ever seen. That wasn't being stated then. Why is that said today? I think it's because we've gotten distanced in our devotion to the things that need devoting to. The last thing Luke says about this It's interesting that he doesn't say, and they had an evangelism campaign that I'm telling you was the craziest. They went out and they passed out these things and folks just flocked to hear because they went and they did bounce houses and they did the carnivals and folks just flocked. Look, Luke says they did four things. They devoted themselves to God's word. They had a hunger for it. And they had a hunger to obey it. They had a hunger for the body together. They valued us. And they, they devoted themselves to that connection. They devoted themselves to worship and coming to the one who saved them and praying in dependence on him. And you know what God did? Verse number 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This early church didn't see fruit because of the great schemes that they came up with to attract the world. This group saw fruit because they were doing what Jesus had told them. Let me remind you what Jesus said. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will produce fruit. But if you don't abide in me and my words don't abide in you, Apart from me, 
you can do what, class? Nothing. Is it possible that we're not seeing folks being added to the kingdom? Is it possible that it's not because we don't have a great evangelism strategy? Is it possible that we have, as followers of Christ, become more devoted in our life to any and everything but him? Is that possible? Yep. Is that probable? Probably. Is it true? The church in America, Oasis Church in particular. And I'm sure there are others in the county, but I'm the only one that's, I'm, this is the only one I pastor, so it's the only one I'm responsible for. I think we are devoted to something, but it ain't him. And you got to understand, this is not one of those, let's, let's, okay, so now Kevin's about to make us feel guilty about stuff we're not doing. Nope, not going to do that at all, but I'm going to be faithful to ask some questions that I had to ask first of myself. The question is, to what are we devoted? To what are you devoted follower of Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, then please don't, don't take this to think that, well, I've got to do a bunch of stuff for Jesus to love me. Jesus will love you and only loves you like you are in your sin in need of him. He'll only save you in your sin, but he will save you in your sin. He will forgive you of your sin if you'll confess him as Lord, if you'll receive his death and resurrection as payment for your sin, allowing him to take your life and bring you into God's family. God will save you just like you are. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then I want to ask you today, what are you devoted to? Because all of us are devoted to something. Everybody in this room is devoted to something. Some things might be good things that we're devoted. We might be devoted to things that most would call good things. Here's some of the things that would be quote unquote good that we find ourselves devoted to. Family, career, fitness, academics, ministry, where we find ourselves devoted. You say, how do I know if I'm devoted? What's the thing you're going to do no matter what else gets done? What are you going to make happen? Well, I'm going to be devoted to my family. Pastor Kevin, don't you tell me that I'm not to be devoted to my family. I'm going to tell you if you're devoted to the word and the fellowship and the worship of Christ and the prayers, you will be more devoted to your family than if you focus on them as number one. But if you focus on them as number one instead of your devotion, to your Lord and in the development of your relationship with your Lord, then it'll be like you focusing all your attention on your kids 
to the neglect of your spouse. And let me tell you what, that feels good in the moment, but everybody around you sees that you're putting all of your eggs in the kid's basket and you're neglecting that spouse and those rascals are going to grow up and leave and you will have lost your marriage, which is more important than your kids. I'll talk to you afterward if you seem to have a different opinion about that. But that's the truth. Your marriage is important, but your marriage is not as important as your relationship with your Savior. And neither are your kids, and certainly not your career. How do you know if I'm devoted to my career? Is that the thing that's going to get your attention when everything else is falling apart? Then that's what you're devoted to. Some good stuff. Not, not, hey, man, you, you said ministry. Uh-huh. Because ministry can become a little personal kingdom for folks. That are, their little ministry area can kind of be that, that little baby that they've got, that kingdom that they want to build. And, oh, it's good. and as it's growing and building, we're feeling great about ourselves. We can be so far from God, and it looked like things are great, and really it's nothing but a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn up in the presence of this very real God. So some good things, but not worth our singular devotion. There are some bad things that some might consider bad that we find ourselves devoted to. You go, "Eh, that's not a good thing to be devoted to. And things like harmful habits, harmful activities, unhealthy relationships. You know, there are folks that are devoted to those things. I mean, they're good. And it's an unhealthy relationship and they're dumping everything they got into it because we're all devoted to something. Even followers of Jesus, unhealthy habits, activities that are not a help, things that are unhealthy. And there are some things that we're devoted in that might not be good or bad. They're just things like possessions. You go, how do you know if you're devoted to, the, to possessions? Well, here's a way, guys. If you're waxing it, even though you're not driving it on a weekend basis, I'm, then you're probably devoted. And I'm sure she's beautiful, and I'm sure she's a, man, that thing is awesome. I'd love to have it. But can you be devoted to it? Sure you can. Eh, yeah, look, it ain't just because just you got a shiny car. and I don't mean you're, but I'm just saying, can you? Yeah, ladies, you can be too. You can be devoted to things like the beach body that most of the guys are going, I don't know, but we can get so devoted to this thing that we're trying to attain, not good or bad, but it's taking our attention. Hobbies. I know there are probably some folks that are fully, completely devoted to nothing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not nothing. I'm going to be nothing and I'm devoted to nothing. And that's going to be my, and most of them are in their thirties and still in with mom. We're all devoted to something. The question is, to what follower of Jesus are you devoted? And nothing is more important than the state of our personal relationship with God. And church, nothing is more important here, not our location, not the quality of the seating, not the lighting or the sound or the amenities, not the opportunities. That are, nothing is more important, church, 
than our following Christ, which is going to require devotion to some things. And I think Luke tells us what they are. A devotion to Christ, individual. A devotion to Christ, family member. A devotion to Christ, church, to four things. God's word, not just hearing it, but doing it. A hunger to be in, in right relation to the word of God. To together, the us, a devotion to it, to worship, to the prayers. Now, here's where I'm going to ask you some questions that don't have nothing to do between, but with me and you, but has everything to do between you and your Lord. How hungry for the word are you? Like right now, given last week, how hungry for God's word are you? I'm not asking you if you read it. I'm not asking you if you fulfilled the reading plan. That's awesome. That's great. How hungry are you for God's word to saturate you and to change you on a daily, but how hungry, how devoted are you to God's word? So if you think about God's word and you think about the things that you're most devoted to, just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell us what you're devoted to. We probably already know it because you talk most about it. We hear about it and we see you post on Facebook about it. So we probably know what you're most devoted to. Let me ask you, where does God's word fit in and does it surpass that? That might be today what you need to say, Father, I've never denied your word. I've never said that I don't need your word, but boy, have I not devoted myself to your word. My relationship with you has not been on the basis of my hunger for what you say and my desire to be obedient. That might today be where you just need to stop and go, okay, Lord, I got some tools over there on the table. There's some Bible studies. There's some books over there that might be helpful. They're all free. I would love for you to go take as many. I don't want any of that. I want it all to be gone if necessary. That might be what you need to do. You might need to go over there and go, you know what, Lord, I've not been into your word and I'm not really knowing how. I'm going to go grab one of these Bible studies and I'm just going to, I'm just going to want to walk in your word with you. Grab them, take them. They're yours. They're free. A lot of them are just their group studies, but I only have one copy because I got a bunch of samples. So grab something and take it. But bottom line is ask him to give you a hunger for God's word. That may be where you need to stop. Maybe you need to say this, uh, Lord, I've just, I understand the body is made up of us, but you know what I do? I tend to isolate myself. You know, when it comes, he's always talking about groups and getting together and being, you know, letting folks pour into you while, while I pour into them. And honestly, that just makes me feel like I don't even want to drink that after we've done poured into one another. It just sounds gross to me. And I just don't want to do that because that, you know, Pastor Kevin, that's just not me. I don't really like, uh, you know, crowds and that kind of thing. I'm not, I, I get it. I get it. You got your phobias. I got mine. You know what God's called us to? Together. To get here, but what am I supposed to do about my phobia? You reckon that one who, who, who created the universe ain't gonna help you with a little phobia to get you together to bring about his purpose in your life? I think he's capable. We do things called life groups. And there are folks in this body that are walking with us that refuse to be a part of a life group. Why? I don't like it. 
Well, I don't like doing the dishes at night either, but if I'm going to eat on clean dishes, I got to do it. You know, it's got to be done. I don't want to. Well, did you like the results that were seen when they devoted themselves, that joy and caring and generosity and, and God adding to their number? Well, then you might need to step out of your comfort zone and begin to embrace us. Some of you need to take another step beyond that. You're in a life group. You need to be leading the life group. You know you can. It's just, our life group is so good. Well, awesome. Go make a good one for some other folks. Because that's just multiple. We won't sit and... Anyway. Worship. All right, I'm going to step on it right here. You ready? Here's where I'm about to step. Everybody's going to go... We, we start at 10.30. We start at 10.30. And, and you know what's really cool? When you get here a little bit earlier than 10.30, you know what you have an opportunity to engage in? <laughs> Fellowship. You get, to meet fo- you get to meet folks you didn't know. You get to hang out with people you, you didn't know you had something in common with. But here's, here's, here's the common thread. And I know it's Florida, and I know it's the South, and I know the band had to wait on me to get my Bible to get started this morning. I know it was 1035 when we started because they were waiting on me. I get it. But don't we demonstrate if we can be there and aren't, don't we demonstrate that it's really not that important? I mean, really, don't we? I mean, you pay $50 for a concert, you, you're going to be standing in line 30 minutes early to get in it because you don't want to miss the opening band that you might not even like. But you want to get your money's worth. Why? Because it's valuable to you. You'll get to the movies to watch the previews. I'm one of you. I love the previews because it's valuable to me. And we'll yell at the kids to get out the door so we can get there in time for the previews. How important is like worship? Like I need it. I get we go on vacation. I go on vacation every year. You know what I don't go on vacation from? Worship. You say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. What? What am I supposed to do? I ain't preaching there. I don't have a responsibility there. Why don't I go? Well, probably because I was raised to do that. Yeah, but you know what? I need to go. So awesome. Go on vacation. Be gone for a month and then come back and tell us about those four places you went and visited and whether or not you felt and experienced the presence of God in those places. Y'all mad at me yet? Okay. (laughs) I don't care. And then last... A couple weeks ago, we had a, uh, we had a uh, time that we got together for corporate prayer. And you know what? God, God, was, God answered prayer, and I was tickled that we had an opportunity to do that. But man, there were a lot of seats available. A lot. I get you out of town. You can't be two places at one time. I understand that. I'm not trying to be a jerk. But if you could be here do you want to be here 
I heard somebody say one time, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to do what we want to do. So here's my question. What do you want from God's word? What do you want from fellowship? What do you want from worship? What do you want from dependence and prayer on the only one who has any answer for us? What are you devoted to? I think if we find ourselves devoted at least to those, we might recognize, man, God is, God is powerfully working here. Well, we might recognize, you know what? A need doesn't happen that it's not cared for. And folks are willing to give, folks are willing to sell to see that that need gets met because everybody's just wanting to give of what they've got and and they value everybody. You're going to see all kinds of joy. We might even become influential in our community because of the character that they recognize in us, just looking like Jesus. But you know what the most exciting thing is? That the Lord still wants to add day by day those who are being saved. Now I wonder how much of that is dependent upon how important he is to us. I think it's a lot. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's evaluation time. It's prioritization time. What's a good thing, but don't need to be so far up to the top? What's missing? I think God will lead you. It's not about between me and you. It's about you and him. Al's over here. His lovely wife, Pat, will probably help him if needed. We're going to stand and we're going to pray. As we're praying, if you have a need that you'd like to have somebody pray for, they'd love to meet you right over here at the cross pray specifically for you and for your need but I want to encourage you Christian do business with God we've wasted too much time let's stand together Father we thank you for the day we thank you for your word God we know that uh, that you are so gracious to us We know that you are so merciful. You're not a God that sits there that wants to criticize your children. You're not that kind of father. You're not the kind of father that will beat up and abuse your kids because they're not perfect. So we thank you that you're a good, good father. You're patient. You're gracious and you're merciful. But Father, let us know for certain that you are a God who empowers. That you have given us in the person of the Holy Spirit, those of your children, you've given us the ability to choose to be devoted to you. In a similar way to those of the first century, devoted themselves to your word, being together what that means, worship and prayer. 
God, even though you're a gracious and merciful Father, you still call us into holiness. And we want to recognize right now today that we got room for improvement. As Christians in America, God, we confess that we have any and everything in a higher priority than you. Good things, but certainly things that are of no value in comparison to our walk with you. And so, Father, I just ask that uh, that you would show us what has unacceptable devotion so that we might move it and replace it with you, either through your word or through the body or, or through worship, a heart of worship, a desire for worship, and prayer, both personally and corporately. God, we want you to use this church. We want this church to be a place that you can add to those who are being saved day by day. We know that the gospel is powerful. We know that the gospel is capable. And we want to be vessels suitable to carry that gospel. Not only with our mouth, but with our life being devoted singularly and wholly to Jesus crucified, risen, and returning. Father, I pray that you will show us and that you'll give us the courage that we need to move toward you. God, I pray for the one who's here that may not have ever trusted Jesus as Savior. I pray that they will have, through song and through your word, have heard that you love them, that Jesus has been sacrificed for them so that they might be brought into relationship with you. By faith alone, confessing Jesus as Lord alive today, I pray that you would draw anyone who is away from you because they've never trusted in Jesus that you would bring them to that place today where they just want to know you. Father, thank you for this church. They love you. They love one another. We just fall victim to the same temptation that everybody else does in this country. Putting you to the back burner while we focus on everything else. May you change our hearts today. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Amen.